Chapter Two of the Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army by Margaret Vandercook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Night. I will die cheering if I needs must die. So shall my last breath ride upon my lips, Viva Italia, when my spirit slips down the great darkness from the mountain sky. And those who shall behold me where I lie shall murmur, Look you how his spirit dips from glory into glory. The eclipse of death is vanquished. Lo, his victory cry. It seems strange to hear this new song of victory ring out over the waters of the Mediterranean Sea at the darkest hour of the night, and yet every human being aboard the lifeboat listened and was helped by it. It was Sonia who had persuaded the young Italian to sing, and his voice was very clear and very beautiful. Nona found herself listening with eyes half-closed as she was worn out with anxiety and fatigue, for at last all the other voices of fear, bitterness, and repining were stilled. If, without any particular sensation of fear, Nona had found herself aboard a small boat being rowed by sailors after the torpedoing of their vessel the afternoon before, she had just been passing through what she believed was the longest and hardest night of her life and yet she remembered the night when she had gone with the Russian army in their retreat across ruined villages and frozen fields. For the Mediterranean, which had been so blue and friendly at the hour of their accident, about sundown had changed as it frequently does. Suddenly the sky and sea had both darkened until they were no longer blue but black. The sun had quickly vanished and afterwards a cold mist arose but until this occurred the passengers in the lifeboat with Nona and Sonia had made every effort to remain cheerful. Nona had suggested that, in ancient days, men and women often crossed the seas in galleys rowed by strong oarsmen, so why not pretend they were captives being brought to Rome under a guard of sailors? Actually, she and Molly Drew, one of the other Red Cross nurses, and one with a real Irish ancestry, argued the question as to which of them was the captive princess. It was not that the two girls intended being frivolous, or that they failed to appreciate the gravity of the situation, but that they wished to show good courage. For a little later, when they had moved a safe distance from their ship, but were still near enough to watch her go down, Molly collapsed and with true Irish suddenness hid her face in the folds of Sonia's coat. However, the torpedoed ship did not sink as soon as her officers had expected. When she did, each man and woman who saw her would like to have followed Molly's example, although most of them simply remained silent. There was no more beautiful or perhaps tragic sight than the sinking of a great ship. Even at a considerable distance, she could be seen to plunge, struggle, and then right herself as if she were human. Then, just before the water closed above her, it seemed as if she uttered a forsaken cry. Another misfortune of war, Dr. Latham exclaimed to Nona, but in an unsteady voice. Nona made no effort to reply. At the last moment, Dr. Latham had come aboard their lifeboat. There was one more seat to be filled, and it was well to have a few men aboard beside the sailors. Nevertheless, it was not Dr. Latham who took command, but in an unconscious fashion, it was Sonia. In the past year, living with her Russian friend, Nona Davis had made the discovery that Sonia was now and then apt to be difficult when things were going smoothly, but showed her real courage and sweetness in misfortune. You see, she had led so strange a life. 
when she was a little russian girl with a family of wealth and distinction she had been fated and adored the little sonya was a great beauty and would one day inherit great wealth then she had gone away to school where secretly she had come in contact with principles of life wholly new to her the belief that there should be no czar that russia should be free and that all men were brothers then sonya had read tolstoy's writings and had begun to study his principles of universal peace she had traveled in many lands still preaching her doctrine and had returned to russia during the war only to be exiled to siberia but when her reprieve came through an unexpected influence and sonya returned to the united states with the three red cross girls she seemed suddenly to have grown tired of all the sorrows and arduous work of her past life after she and nona had settled down in the exquisite peaceful old southern city of charleston sonya appeared to care only to rest and to read she had money enough to make herself and nona both comfortable in a quiet fashion as a matter of fact she had not wished to return to any part of the european war zone sonya was weary of tragedy and felt she had earned the right to a more placid existence it was only nona davis's determination to continue her red cross nursing in italy which had finally influenced her friend but even then sonya had insisted she would do nothing but take a small villa in italy where she would be near enough to nona to be of service to her if necessary nevertheless on board the lifeboat it was sonya who was doing more than anyone else to encourage her fellow travelers from the first nona's friend the young italian carlo navara whom sonya had disliked had depended upon her in an almost absurd fashion dr latham had been right if the young artist was going home to be a soldier he made a poor showing in his first contact with danger the women except sonya as well as the men made no effort to hide their scorn of him because the moment he took his place along with the others he covered his face with his hands shaking as though he were physically ill and when the boat lurched he would take his hands down to cry out in terror he had such an unfortunate effect on the others who were trying to be brave that he might have been roughly treated if sonya had not been present several times dr latham shouted at him kindly at first see here young fellow don't you know we are pretty fortunate what's the trouble with you aren't we all in lifeboats without the loss of a life and isn't the sea calm this isn't the atlantic ocean where there might be a reason for alarm but this was not the kind of conversation that ever comforts anyone, although there are people who believe one is happier in remembering that someone else is more wretched. Yet it seems a poor consolation always. At any rate, Carlo paid no attention to the doctor's brusque efforts, and had it not been for Sonia, would probably have gone to pieces altogether. Several times Nona felt sorry that she had ever made friends or championed the young Italian, but she was really almost asleep with her head resting against the big doctor's great shaggy coat when carlo began to sing it must have been about two or three o'clock in the morning for six or eight hours the small boat had been tossed by the choppy waves which had followed the sinking of the sun there was food and water aboard nevertheless by this time nona and most of the other women felt too ill to think of touching food sonya and dr latham working together had forced all of them to have a little food at midnight as well as at the dinner hour the night before it was sonya also who asked molly drew to take care of the one child aboard so the mother could sleep thus molly was kept from thinking too much about herself then when everybody's courage was going and when the sailors were too weary to do more than keep the lifeboat afloat 
Sonia had commanded the young Italian musician to see if a song would be of service. He had insisted that it would be useless, but Sonia had been determined and, as he yielded to her influence before, he must do so again. Then, as he sang, his self-respect came back to him. It was a wonderful experience, Nona felt, even in the midst of her discomfort and suffering, for she was stiff and aching from so many long hours in a cramped position. She was also cold and wet through her heavy coat and was beginning to believe they would never be rescued. Live thou upon my lips, Italia mine, the sacred death cry of my frozen clay. Let thy dear light upon my body shine, and to the passerby this message say. Echo, though heaven has made my skies divine, my deep love sanctifies my soul for I. More beautiful than before was the voice which rang out over the waters with a triumphant note closing this last verse. When the song ceased, Nona must have fallen into a real sleep, for when she awoke it was almost dawn, and it seemed to her the sea was growing quieter. Except for the sailors who were on watch, everybody in the lifeboat appeared to be either wholly asleep or in a stupor. Nona could hear the big doctor who sat beside her making strange noises. Only Sonia, sitting alone and at some distance off, Nona found to be still awake. She must have been very tired, and yet it seemed to Nona that she had never seen her friend more beautiful. Sonia wore a long, severely plain blue coat, and the heavy veil which had been bound about her head had become unloosened and was now floating backward in the morning mist. Out of the pallor of her face, her blue eyes showed with extraordinary depth of beauty and color, while her mouth wore an expression of infinite wistfulness and sympathy. Yet it was Sonia and one of the sailors who almost at the same instant sighted a little Italian fishing boat. It had come forth early from Naples, risking the dangers in order to be first at the fishing, for food was dear in Italy as elsewhere, and fish one of the things upon which the poor depended. The first pink hue had begun to show very faintly in the pearl of the sky, yet the sails of the small fishing boats were of a deep rose color. Certainly they looked rose-color indeed when the little smack, hearing the signal of distress before she caught sight of the lifeboat, came into view of the shipwrecked men and women with all her little sails bravely flying. Some hours later Nona Davis had her first vision of Italy, and felt almost as if it repaid her for what she had just passed through. The water of the Bay of Naples was blue once more, the city a glory of color shining by this time in the midday sun, and beyond lay Mount Vesuvius forming a kind of amethyst brooding cloud above the city. Nona was standing by the tall doctor, who seemed in a measure to have adopted her in the last twelve hours, when their sailboat rode into the bay with its unexpectedly large number of passengers. But somehow the news had preceded the boat, as the shore was lined with friendly, sympathetic Italian faces, with the waving of Italian and one or two American flags. Sonia had been with some other people, but came up at this instant to join Nona and the doctor. Remember what goeth, says Nona, dear, whatever befalls us. He who can remember Naples can never more be quite unhappy. End of chapter 2 Recording by Debbie R. Baker Robinson